Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Ken Sullivan. Today I'll be teaching from the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'll be reading from the New International Version as usual, but before we begin, let me give you a little background on this uh, second letter from Paul to Timothy. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, his spiritual son, from a a Roman prison while he was awaiting execution. Uh, he was executed by beheading shortly after this letter was written. This letter can be defined as Paul's last will and testament. Paul commissioned Timothy to carry on the work he was leaving behind. And Timothy was young and timid and sickly and, and suffering great difficulty at this time in his life. But Paul told him to just endure those hardships as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And uh, he was to rely on the word of God as his foundation and as his weapon. With his last words to Timothy and the people of God, Paul stressed the things that were most important to him. So these major themes are, are found in this book. Number one, living godly, godly living. He urged Timothy to live a godly life and to be an example to those who were under his leadership. Number two, Paul instructed him to preach the word of God, to be in season and to be out of season. Preach it at all times. And then number three, Paul warned Timothy about the coming apostasy, that is, the abandonment of the true faith by many that was to come. Paul's second letter to Timothy was written around A.D. 67. Now let's get into the word. I'm reading 2 Timothy chapter 1 in the New International Version, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul addresses this letter to Timothy, his spiritual son. Um, it's important to note that Timothy's mother was Jewish, but his father was a Greek. You can find that in Acts 16 and 1. Uh, he'd been taught the Hebrew scriptures from a child and had been led to Christ by Paul in Lystra on his first missionary journey. So it's important for us to teach our children to read the Bible to them and to invest in them the things of God, and, and they'll come out. We'll put them in good stead later down the road. Timothy represented Paul by overseeing churches in Macedonia and Lystra uh, and Ephesus, where he received this letter. Now I'm reading verses 3 through 5. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. God's leaders must be people of disciplined prayer. 
And so Paul is praying for Timothy with tears. Paul was a disciplined prayer warrior. Uh, prayer was a large part, a huge part of his life. And uh, his strong prayer life can be attributed to his success. You want to be successful in whatever ministry God has placed you in or whatever aspect of life that you're pursuing, then be a person of prayer. Christians must be people of prayer. Spending time day and night, Paul prayed for Timothy and his co-workers, and, and uh, he carried them around in his heart. Um, Timothy was young, as I said, and, and timid and, and sickly, but he was strong in the faith, and he was a, a gifted teacher. Paul had given Timothy the heavy responsibility of leading the church at Ephesus, and the image of Timothy's tears were burned into Paul's mind, into his, his psyche. So Paul, uh, Timothy wept uh, when Paul departed and, and left him in charge, and Perhaps he cried over the many problems that, that he was facing as a young pastor over uh, this church and these people. And perhaps he was just weeping because he was not no longer going to be with his mentor, Paul, that Paul was leaving and he was going for a while. But Paul's heart went out to him because of the great love between this father and son. Paul was, of course, his, his spiritual father, led him to Christ. Timothy had a, a rich heritage of faith, which had been handed down from generation to generation. He, he'd been taught the Old Testament scriptures from childhood by his mother and his grandmother. It, it, it's a wonderful thing if you've got a, a mother who is a believer, and, and especially if you've got a grandmother as well, um, you, you've got twice the effectiveness of being taught and and gotten the word and, and, and receiving the word of God. It's so important for us as people of God, especially we seniors, those of us who are parents, to impart to our children a Christian heritage, uh, leave them a legacy of Christ. You can't leave them anything more valuable than that. Money is not more valuable or, or even secular education. It's as important as it is, um, it is not as important as leaving a Christian legacy. Uh, so Timothy had been trained and mentored in the ministry by the great apostle Paul himself. Um, he was a believer in the Jewish scriptures, um, in the, uh, the Jewish faith, but he came to Christ under Paul's leadership. Now, verses 6 through 8. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the... The spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Uh, Timothy's gift was from God, but God used Paul to lay hands on him uh, at the time that his gift was really uh, brought out and began to really burn. Paul is suggesting that Timothy has somehow neglected that, that gift and, and needed to stir it up or fan it into flames. Gifts that are neglected uh, and unused become dormant. The same way uh, unused muscles become flabby. If we don't use our gifts, they become flabby. They become uh, dormant and almost useless. The more we use our gifts, 
the better they get. Paul uses the metaphor for a fire that has been uh, burned down and covered with coals that uh, and ashes and that needed to be stirred and to be stoked. Uh, when I was growing up, we had wood fires. We had a wood-burning stove, a coal-burning stove, and uh, sometimes it would burn down, and, and um, the ashes underneath were hot. They were smoldering, but they weren't flaming up, and so you had to stir that fire up and and get those ashes from off the top of the uh, of the um, the embers, the the hot embers, so that uh, oxygen could get the air could get to them, and then they could flame up again. So Paul is using this metaphor to Timothy: stir up that gift that you have, stir up the gift that God has given to you that that was uh, uh, first realized in you by the laying on of my hands. Because Tim uh, Timothy was a timid person. He may have shied away from one of his leadership gifts that required him to be bold and, and, and outgoing. Leadership requires boldness uh, because people will challenge you. And you have to, even if you're timid, you have to come out of that, uh, that uh, comfort zone. Timid people may have leadership qualities, but tend to lay back and, and, and let more extroverted people take over. So Paul is saying to Timothy, don't, don't, uh, don't be timid. Stir up that dormant gift that is in you. Um, you fan a dormant gift into flame by using it. You have to use that gift by stepping up and exercising whatever gift you might have. You have to stir it up by using it. Find a way to use that gift. Find a way to put it into practice and, and get out there. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8 in the New Living Testament says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you the leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So Paul is saying here um, in Romans, as he is in Timothy, to, to Timothy, seize every opportunity to use your gift. Even if you're shy and timid, Find a place to use your gift. You, you may be a teacher, but you have no place to teach. Well, volunteer to teach children. What is your gift? Uh, what do you do well? That's what is an indicator of your gift. Your skills, your abilities, and your passions indicate what your gift is. Ask God to reveal your gift and, and be willing to serve in whatever capacity you can find. Wherever you're needed, serve there uh, and find your place and use your gifts. Stir it up. My major gift is teaching. I began teaching in children in, in Sunday school at my church, and, and then I taught in the public school. I, I went ahead and got my, uh, my bachelor's degree and began to teach in the, in the public school. I taught elementary and, and then later middle school, and, and then in the church, I taught the adult Sunday school. I moved up to teaching the uh, the adult Sunday school, and then later on, God made me a teaching pastor. I, of course, I became a deacon, 
Uh, and then uh, later on, God called me to pioneer uh, the church uh, that is today, New Direction. Uh, at the time that I started it, it was Charity Christian Center Family Church. Uh, and God made me a teaching pastor. Now, I tried to be an expository preacher because that's what excites people. But that wasn't my gift. So I had to leave that alone and get back to my gift of teaching. So get busy serving somewhere, and, and God will bring your gift out. Don't just sit back and, 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 and wait for a large platform or wait to be discovered. You've got to start in the small places. You've got to be faithful in that which is least, and then God will promote you. God will, will use your gift and expose your gift, and, and he, will, he will exalt you if you humble yourself and, and serve in the kingdom wherever you can find a place, serve in the church, uh, serve in society, wherever you can find a place to serve, serve there. Find a place to exercise your gift and stir it up. Verse seven says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and discipline. God has not given us the spirit of fear, the King James says. So uh, resist the spirit of timidity. Break out of your shell. Push yourself out of your comfort zone and use your gift. God's spirit gives us power. He gives us the power to do whatever he calls us to do. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. God's spirit gives us love, love for God, love for others, love for the ministry that he calls us to. And God's spirit gives us self-discipline. Self-control or temperance is one of the, of the nine uh, fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.23. The Holy Spirit helps us to do what we should and to resist doing what we shouldn't do. So we have his Spirit working with us and in us if we are believers, if we are Christians. So we need to stir up that gift. My friend, my brother, my sister, Whatever your gift is, if you're a child of God, you need to find a place to use that gift. Maybe the lowliest place. God will honor that. And as you use your gift, it gets better and better. Now I'm reading verses 9 and 10. He has saved us and called, uh, called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. He has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So Jesus Christ gave his own body and his own life on the cross as a ransom to pay for our sins. He saved us from our sins by becoming a sin sacrifice for us, he died on the cross in our place. The reproaches that reproach God, our reproaches that reproach God, our offenses against God fell on him and God laid out, he meted out the punishment that was due us to Christ. He suffered the wrath of God in our place. Listen to what Isaiah 53, a wonderful passage, Old Testament passage, and probably the most revealing about the Messiah. Uh, Isaiah 53 and 4 through 5, in the New King James Version I'm reading, says, Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Christ saved us from unrighteousness and made us right with God through the sacrifice of himself on the cross. He endured the offenses, he endured um, the suffering and all of the affliction because he loves us and he wanted us with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 in the New Living Translation says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the, of the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Christ saved us from God's judgment and punishment for sin, which is eternity in the lake of fire and eternal separation from God and all that is good. Now, we don't talk a lot about hell anymore, but hell is still real and hell is still there. 2 Thessalonians 1 and 8 through 10 in the New International Version says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. So when Christ comes again, he is going to bring destruction and punishment upon uh, those who don't know Christ, while at the same time he's going to be glorified in the people who do know him. We're going to be cheering and shouting and celebrating his coming, and the wicked are going to be running and hiding and trying to escape his wrath. Revelation 20 and 12 and uh, 15 in the New Living Translation says, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were open, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The lake is real. Hell is real. And there is a reason to run from our sins, to turn away from them, and to turn to God. Uh, not only because of the fear of punishment, but because of the attraction of the abundance of life that Christ will give us here on this earth and eternal life, which is to come. Christ saved us from slavery to sin by his substitutionary death on the cross. It saved us from slavery to sin. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18 in the New Living Translation says, Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. So if we are Christians and we're serving God and we're following him, then we have been freed from slavery to sin and we have been made slaves to righteousness. Now we are compelled. Now we should be obsessed with righteousness. Uh, if you're a Christian, you will notice that the day that you became a Christian, the day that you received Christ, a change came over you. Suddenly you didn't want to do wrong anymore. Suddenly there was a hunger and a thirst in you for righteousness. That was God transforming you and changing you from the inside out. He's giving you the hunger and the thirst for righteousness 
He is freeing you from sin, but we have to feed ourselves or we'll become weak. We'll become too weak to resist sin. So we feed ourselves by studying God's Word. You should read the Word of God every day. Set aside time to read the Word of God. In fact, I believe that we should eat the Word of God as often as we eat natural food. I believe we should uh, feast on the Word of God in the morning, in the midday, and in the evening. And, and we should spend time praying. As Christians, we should be people of prayer. And so we should read the Word, and we should spend some time in prayer with God in the morning and throughout the day. And, and we should attend church to be taught. The Bible says, I will give you pastors after my own heart who will, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. And so uh, if you want to be free from slavery to sin, even though you're born again, you're a Christian, you have that propensity to, to uh, pursue righteousness. If you don't feed yourself, you will become weak and susceptible to sin, to sliding back into it. So God saved us from slavery to sin through Jesus Christ. And he saved us from the ravages of sin through Jesus Christ. A sinful lifestyle is like a loose cannon. It destroys everyone near it. When Christ saves us, he gives us power over sin and control over our behavior. Not only did he save us from sin, he called us to a holy life. A holy life is a life devoted to serving God. It's a godly life. It's a, it's a clean, sanctified life. It is a God-fearing life. Now, this new holy life causes us to escape the trouble and the destruction of sin. It brings us a new kind of lifestyle, a wiser, a safer, and a saner life. Um, the things that we used to do, we don't want to do anymore. We turn away from those things that were destructive, those bad habits, um, those, those bad places that we used to go that were dangerous, and, and the, the things that we did that, that we used to do that were detrimental to our, our health and our, and, and our lives and the lives of our children, we, we're, we're turning away from them. That's holy living when we turn away from that old lifestyle to serving God. Proverbs chapter 9 Verses 10 through 11 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. So, so by uh, pursuing God and by coming out of that old lifestyle, our, our lives will be lengthened. We will have longer lives. Now, now that's in general. Of course, there are exceptions to the rule. Sometimes God will, will take people home early who are righteous, but the general rule, the general principle is that when you start serving God and you start living a godly life, you're going to live a safer, saner life, and that's going to extend your lifespan. And, and not only that, you've got God who is covering you, who is shielding you, who is rewarding you with success, and who is blessing your life. This wise, God-fearing, God-serving life turns us from wickedness to righteousness. Proverbs chapter 2 verses and verse 12 in the NIV says, Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. So we'll stop running with people who are reckless and wicked and who, in, who endanger us, and we'll find other wise people to, to get close to. Proverbs 8.13 says, 
to fear the Lord is to hate evil. And then Job 28 and 28 says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. So when we really become believers, we turn to God and away from evil. We are freed from slavery to sin and wickedness. Verse 9 of our text says, we did nothing to earn salvation. It's all God's doing. So we can't boast that we decided to turn to God. We decided to do the right thing, that we're doing the right thing in our own strength and power. No, it is God who is at work in us, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. He chose us, the Bible says, before the beginning of time to receive salvation for his own plan and his own purposes. Now, we receive this salvation by placing our faith in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way to be saved. We have to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to confess our sins. We ask him to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have to ask him to save us, to receive us into his family, into his kingdom. And God will gladly do that because he paid the ultimate price for us to, to have that, to have salvation. He didn't withhold his only son from the cross. So if he gave up his son, he will gladly give us the salvation that his son came for us to have. Now, Ephesians 2 and 8 and 9 in the New Living um, Translation says, God saved you by his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. None of us can boast about it. Now, the greatest evidence of our genuine faith in Christ is a transformed life. Our faith is proven to be genuine by our obedience to God's word, by the change in our lifestyle, and by our godly conduct and behavior. That's the proof in the pudding. If you don't have a changed life, you can't profess that you're a Christian. If you're still doing the same thing you used to do, and you don't have much regard for God and righteousness, then you need to really check yourself and examine yourself and see if you're really in the faith. Now, holiness is not obeying a bunch of man-made rules. That's legalism. That's self-righteousness. That's just what the verse above just told us not to do. Holiness is following the teachings of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 uh, says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So you say you're a believer. Say you're a Christian. You profess Christ. Well, let me ask you, have you become a new person? Is the old life gone? Has a new life begun for you? If you can't answer yes to that, then the safe thing to do is to go back before God, ask God to forgive you of your sins, ask God to really save you and to really transform your life, and then get up and start following the dictates of Scripture. You got to pray. You got to go to church. Don't listen to people that tell you that church is optional. 
God would not have called pastors to preach and to teach. God would not have established a church. He said, upon this church, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is God's schoolhouse. Uh, it is God's place for family gathering. It is a God's place of worship. And so you can't exit out. You can't um, see it as an option. I, I'll go or I'll not go. You are not going to grow if you don't join with the people of God. Read his word and pray. Now verses 9 and 10 of our text says, God's grace for salvation was determined before creation. But it unfolded, it unfolded or was revealed when Christ came to carry it out. It was finished when he died on the cross. Jesus' last words on the cross were, it is finished. Verse 10 of our text says, Christ destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Through his death, Christ destroyed death. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 in the New Living Translation says, For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So we don't have to fear death anymore. There's no reason to fear death now if you're a Christian because we Christians continue to live on the other side of the grave. We may put this body down, but what you cannot see is that your spirit leaves your body and goes directly to be with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So the day that you die, should we die before Jesus comes? And I think there's a pretty good chance that most of us will die before Jesus comes. But should you die before he comes, you will leave your body behind and you will go into the presence of the Lord into paradise. And then at the day of the return of Christ, you will come back with him. He will give you a brand new body. The body that you left in the dust will be resurrected, transformed, and your spirit your glorified spirit will enter a glorified body and you will be with Christ forever. That's a wonderful thing to look forward to. So when Jesus died, he took on a human body so that he could die. And in his dying, he took away the fear of death, the reason for the fear of death. We don't have to fear judgment, destruction anymore. On the other side of the grave, there is only life and peace and paradise for us when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we follow him. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 in the King James Version says, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Thy victory, the King James says. Death has no power over believers. It can't sting us. It can only deliver us to heaven and eternal life. Revelation 14, 13 says, Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 and 8 says, I would rather be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So Jesus' resurrection is an example of our own resurrection. He is the first fruits and we will follow. He was the first to be resurrected and to go back to heaven. 
and we will follow him. After Christ, um, uh, afterward, after we go back to heaven and spend some time with Christ in heaven, afterward, Christ will create a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no death. First, he will reign and he will rule. We will reign with him over this present earth for a thousand years. And that's called the millennial reign of Christ, the millennial kingdom. And it will be a return to the state of a paradise here on this earth. And then at the end of that thousand years, that's when the wicked will be resurrected again and judged and cast into the lake of fire. And that's when he will create new heavens and a new earth. Now, verse 10 says, Christ brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's an important point. Christ preached and taught the gospel message of life and immortality through the sacrifice of his own body. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. I like the way that the New Living Translation puts that. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. There's no mistaking that. John chapter 11, 25, and the New Living Translation. Christians in every generation since Jesus Christ have been bringing life and immortality to light through the gospel by sharing this good news with others, and it will continue until Christ returns. So this life and immortality is brought to life through the gospel, just simply by us preaching it, telling people about Jesus Christ, telling people about how he, his death and burial and resurrection made it possible for us to have eternal life, but not only eternal life, abundant life here on earth before we die. So when people hear that gospel message, um, the life and immortality is brought to light. That is, is, it is being revealed or unveiled every time the gospel is preached. It is being manifested every time the, the gospel is preached. The light is being shed on it so that the understanding of people and the awareness of people to it is brought to light. So every time we tell someone about what Jesus did, every time the gospel is preached, uh, life and immortality is being brought to light through that gospel. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But he also said, you true Christians are the light of the world. So every time we share the gospel, I can't say that enough. I know it sounds redundant, but every time we share the gospel message with someone else, we are bringing life and immortality to light to them. They are becoming aware of what Jesus Christ did for them. Every time someone hears the gospel and responds with faith, they receive life and immortality. The gospel is simply the message of eternal life that is available to anyone who will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now I'm reading verses 11 through 12. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard that 
what, uh, to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul's three major assignments were, number one, he was a herald. A herald is an announcer, a messenger, or a preacher. Number two, he was an apostle. One sent on a mission. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was sent to preach the gospel where it had not gone and to establish churches in Gentile region. Number three, he was a teacher. Paul was sent to teach the word of God personally and through his letters to the churches. In verses 12, in, in a verse 12, Paul said, that's why I suffer. When you carry out your calling, you will suffer. If you determine to live for God, you will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3 and 12 says, all that, that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Acts 14, 22 says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So don't shrink back from it. Uh, that's how we identify with Christ in his suffering. And Jesus said, if you suffer with me, you will reign with me. When we really embrace Christ and we really determine to live godly lives, we're going to be persecuted. But Peter and the other saints, the ancient saints, the early saints, they were beaten. And then they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Christ. That should be our attitude when we suffer persecution, especially when we know that we're suffering for the cause of Christ. We should rejoice because great is our reward in heaven, Jesus said. Acts chapter 14 and 22 says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And Acts 14, 22 says, uh, no, I just read that one. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And moving along here quickly, because I want to finish this. Don't be ashamed of the suffering and humiliation that sometimes come with serving God. Don't be ashamed because you know Christ. Stand up for Christ. And, and don't be ashamed to be uh, confident that he will guard his interests. Know that he was going to take care of you and he's going to regard his investment in you. You've trusted him with your life and your future and he'll not let you down. Now verses 13 and 14, I'm moving along here. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Uh, Paul is saying, lock on to and keep what I taught you as an example of a pattern of good teaching. A pattern is what you use to make copies with. So Paul is saying, guard the things that I taught you. Keep them as a pattern of sound teaching, a model to live by and to teach others to live by. Keep your faith in Christ, he said. Guard it. Keep your love for Christ. Stay in love with Jesus. Keep stoking your love for Christ. Keep stirring it up. Paul said, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you with the Holy Spirit's help. What is that good deposit? Well, number one, it's faith in Christ. Keep that faith. Keep your faith in Christ. Number two, it's the word of God, the teaching of the apostles. That's in, in you. And number three, it's the gifts that God has given to minister, given you to minister the gospel and to serve the kingdom, even by, even by the way you teach it. Perhaps you're not a teacher. Um... Perhaps you're a, uh, a skilled laborer, uh, you work um, bricklaying or whatever your skill may be. 
let your life speak for you. Let your life preach the gospel as you follow Christ and as you live a holy life. Verses 15 through 18, I'm reading, says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the house of Onesephorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he, that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Now, although Paul knew many Christians in Asia, everyone abandoned him. But he mentions the one person who stood with him through thick and thin, Onesephorus. Paul felt the pain of being abandoned by the people that he loved and trusted enough to mention this in his letter to Timothy. But Onesephorus was a, a great encouragement to Paul. He searched and searched until he found Paul and ministered to his needs. He was not ashamed of Paul's chains. Paul was awaiting execution in Nero's prison, and, and many were afraid to associate with him. But Paul fondly remembers Onesiphorus' love and, and loyalty. Well, that brings us to the end of 2 Timothy chapter 1. Next time, we will cover chapter 2. Friend, if you live in the Indianapolis area, I'd like to invite you to come visit us at New Direction Church, where my son, Kenneth Sullivan Jr., is the lead pastor. Our East Campus is located on the corner of 38th and Hawthorne Streets, and our North Campus is at 86 and Hague Road. Service times are 8.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. on 38th Street and 10 a.m. on 86th Street. I hope to see you at one of our services. But until then, thank you for joining us. And until next time, God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune into our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. Trust you've enjoyed this teaching. I want you to know that my book, Teach Me About Heaven, it's available on Amazon.com or you can get it at www.emergecurriculum.com.